0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Have you changed your plans because we're now in the second wave of the pandemic? And if you've been looking to our leaders for guidance, you are likely confused because we've been getting contradictory and muddled guidance, which also points to a growing split between the province and some of our cities, notably Toronto. Take a listen to think carefully about our Thanksgiving plans this year to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and communities.
0: I told uh, Carla, I, I said, you know, and she knows, uh, we have no more than 10, and uh, simple as that. And and that's what we're going to obey by as, as well.
2: Uh, yes, 10 is
3: the max for indoors, but that doesn't mean you should go to 10 we are hoping people will stay with their household.
2: Please limit your Thanksgiving dinner to the people you live with. If you live alone, the safest option is to join with others virtually.
0: So if you, you play it back, I said stick within your household. Your, your household, that, that's what I said. So <laughs> uh, stick with, within 10 people. <laughs>
1: Okay, so according to the Premier, if your household has 10 people, that's okay. <laughs> okay, and uh that last thing about eating alone, if you live alone, well, there's an exception for mental health. The Associate Chief Medical Officer, Barbara Yaffe, told us that she's having her son over. He doesn't live with her, but that is an instance of mental health. So who If anyone should we be listening to, and again, I'd like to know what your plans are and if you've changed them because of where we are at. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dr. Ray Watt Dionandon, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa, Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations and Robin Sears, NDP strategist and principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group. Hi everyone, welcome.
4: Good day. Hi. Let's
1: start Hi, Let's start with uh Robin from a communications point of view. How would you rate this?
5: Well, you know, Libby, I, I was reflecting on this before you even reached out. Why is it going so badly and to me, the analogy is chess in a way. It's very easy to learn the moves on a chessboard. It's very hard to get good at it. And communication strategy is not unlike that. I mean, there are there are three absolute must-dos which most governments have consistently screwed up. Be simple. Make the messaging clear and simple. Make it consistent over time and consistent with what you said before and we'll say tomorrow and repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Those three principles would have kept all the governments who are stepping on each other's toes out of trouble to begin with. One leader who I think has done, in everybody's estimation, a tremendous job in leading his people through this period is Andrew Cuomo. He's in charge, he's the governor, he obeys the communications rules. But you know, in Ontario you've got the mayor, the premier, the ministers, the public health officers at several levels, and Ottawa. There is no way out of that alphabet soup you're going to get simple, consistent messaging. So it's kind of baked into the way in which Canada is run as a federal state, I suppose. But more importantly, that there was nobody internally in the premier's office the prime Minister's office. The mayor's office who said, OK, folks, let's make sure we're all reading from the same page. And if we have to change anything, we'll notify each other in advance and agree on it. OK,
1: well, no, well-
5: that seems to happened.
1: Well, they obviously don't agree on it. Uh, yesterday, the same issue where, where we have the city of Toronto asking restaurant, that restaurants be shut down for indoor dining and the, the, the premier saying no. But back to this Thanksgiving thing, I mean, uh, he, what I found astonishing, I mean, the premier, who's usually a pretty straight shooter, he first said, I told Carla, his wife, 10 people, keep it to 10 people. He even said something like, you know, with the aunts and uncles, don't hug them. And 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 then he says, but I actually said people in your household. Yeah, <laughs> this,
5: yeah. he's, um, he's confusing in his own head.
1: Yeah, it's like, a, you know, your own household, that means people who live with you. Bob, what do you, what do you make of all that?
6: Yeah, it's been very confusing. And there's just, there's too many, uh, I completely agree with Robin on this. There are way too many cooks in the kitchen here. and And the other thing is, there was a time in this pandemic several months ago where people were focused on it. And, you know... And I I wanted to hear from the Prime Minister and the Premier and from the Mayor, and I wanted to see that progress was being made and things were being done, because it was scary off the top. It's not anymore seven months later. We do not he- need to hear from them every single day. They should be reducing the amount of uh press conference they do by 70 or 80 percent and do, like, a really good update once, maybe twice a week maximum, but... You know, the cons, it looks more about you know politicians trying to get their mug on TV than it is about really communicating effective messages with people. So yeah, yeah. there's too there's too much there's too much uh, communication and it's really unfocused and all over the map. Uh, so there's lots of room for improvement here.
1: Uh- You know, uh, with respect, it's not just politicians getting their mug on. There are a lot of uh, medical officers getting their mug on, and uh, I would think that's part of the problem, too, Dr. Dionandon.
4: Yeah, if you look at which jurisdictions have done this well, I can think of, as mentioned, New York, uh, B.C., Germany, even Sweden, New Zealand, all the places where the communication has been fairly good, and that's because one person... Is one voice that does most of the talking, and that voice is usually the public health leader of that jurisdiction. Here we have multiple faces and voices saying conflicting things, having multiple press conferences, often one after each other, saying different things. So I don't blame the population for being really confused.
1: Yeah, the, I've heard some, one piece of, of guidance saying, if you're going to listen to anybody, listen to your local chief medical officer. Ray, is that good advice?
4: Well, that was my advice. I think I gave it to you. Oh. <laughs> I, I said, uh, yeah, listen to your local public health person, the municipal public health leader, or your county public health leader, because they understand what the needs are in your jurisdiction, the ca- the capacity of your hospital, and the nature of your neighborhood. And it helps overcome a lot of the conflicting information coming from on high. And it's disappointing that I have to say that. but that That's how I feel right now.
1: Uh, Robin, uh, in your circle, are, are people actually listening? You're in Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa is, like Toronto, not doing very well. Uh, what's going on as far as you know?
5: Who are you addressing? Uh, I'm Robin. Oh, thank you. Sorry. No, it's just that epidemiologists are not famously good communicators, which is an additional challenge. I mean, the the professional standard of epidemiology is not to overstate and not to be too certain. So they frequently introduce ambiguities and nuance, which conflicted clear messaging. A good epidemiologist friend of mine in Toronto said he really started jumping up and down at his colleagues when they would do the on the one hand, on the other hand kind of presentation, even privately, because they're, they're used to not making claims that are not 100% certifiable. In this situation, somebody has to say, as far as we can tell, this is the way it is, and this is what you're going to do. And it may be an epidemiologist or a public health officer, it may be a politician, but uh, you know, there's a bit of a risk when you have public health officials. Some of them are much better than others. I mean, uh, Bonnie Lee in BC gets everybody's gold star, I think. But Bonnie Henry. Some, uh, sorry, Bonnie Henry. But I, I do think there are some others who have not performed that well.
1: Okay, uh, Bob, uh, I'll ask you, what's going on, as far as you know, in your wider circle? Are people changing their plans? Are they leaving it up to their best judgment? What's happening?
6: I think people are leaving it up to their best judgment and are, are practicing common sense. Uh, I think people are getting a little fed up of the conflicting advice. And also, some of the advice appears ridiculous, you know, and it also changes from uh, from, from week to week. So I think the uh i'm going to agree with robin i would not leave it up to the medical officers of health they have not been terrific collectively in terms of communicating on this issue uh part of it is the structure and part of it is politicians but it's they, they they need to take some responsibility here uh too as well and it hasn't been great so uh we need uh we need less information but we need clearer information And we need it in a timely fashion. Libby, you mentioned, you know, Toronto's a mess when it comes to not, that's not your words, my words, uh, with COVID right now. No, it's not. Um, You know, we have a problem in the northwest corner of the city that's quite acute. But but most of the rest of the city is in uh, excellent shape. So let's get the resources we need into the northwest corner of the city and do what we need to do to help mitigate the situation. But that doesn't mean that you need to run around and close everything down in other parts of the city uh, and, you know, uh, further create uh, huge problems for folks. So I think there needs to be um, a clearer understanding of what it is that we're doing and then some clearer communication and less of it.
1: Well, um, yeah, you've said that, but, you know, cases are starting to creep into areas that had no cases for a very long time and I'm I'm talking about the downtown and uh you know with uh, uh Dr. Dionandon what do you think I mean should should the guidance be I mean we know that the, it's worse in the northwest corner there are three neighborhoods but should there be blanket recommendations for the whole city or should it depend what's going on in your neighborhood
4: Part of the role of public health communication is not only to describe the present, but to project the future and to explain some, some difficult concepts for a lot of people like exponential growth. The idea that things may look really good right now, but tomorrow is going to explode as we enter the explosive phase of exponential growth. So. To answer your question directly, I think a city-wide basis is probably the way to go because hospitals serve the entire city, not just one neighborhood. And we talk about hospital capacity here. But that's that's a, a conversation about the epidemiology. To talk more about the, the communications angle, what is the role of public health communications? I think it's to convey confidence honesty to give people the tools for self-protection and for preparing for what's coming in the future. The extent that that is the goal, I don't think this province has done a good job. And I'm I'm thinking back to a paper I read back in 2007 that talks about the lessons from the SARS pandemic that we should have learned for this one. It have three lessons. The first one was transparency in communications. And we never learned from that. And all the public health guidances around how to prepare for an epidemic has a, a small portion on communication. But that's a, a... It's not a well-developed section. It says have a communications plan, have a website, give out press releases, talk about risk, but never how to actually phrase the messaging. Yeah. And we're in, a, we're in a strange era now instantaneous communication where misinformation is real, where active disinformation is a thing, and no one's really ready for how to combat those uh, those forces.
1: Well, the other thing is that... The the situation keeps changing. I mean, how do you maintain consistent communication if the actual facts on the ground just keep changing?
4: Robin?
5: Well, well I'm sorry. Uh, yes, they do keep changing, and it's it's frustrating for everybody involved in trying to manage this for sure. But, you know, is there really any logic in saying four, six, eight, or ten people should... Um, be permitted in the household over Thanksgiving, Um, well, sure, that would depend in part on the size of the house, the age of the people. Um, There there are lines being drawn in the sand that, as Bob made clear, uh, don't on their face make much sense. And the problem with that, apart from causing some unhappiness uh, among voters and listeners, is they lose the trust of the electorate. And so the electorate then begins to do whatever the hell they think, because they go, look at those idiots. They said six things this week, and all of them contradicted each other. I'm going to follow my own judgment. And when you lose the trust of the people you're trying to control and direct the behavior of in a public health crisis, you've really lost.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to take a call from June in Mississauga. Hi, June. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Oh, not doing too bad, coping like everybody else. And, and what, are you, what are you up to for Thanksgiving?
2: Well, nothing. Um I was going to go to my son's. My son lives in Tottenham. My other son lives in Georgetown. But I don't drive those distances anymore. So my son's going to come by on Sunday for an outside visit and drop off some food. But my biggest complaint is about outlets for seniors that live alone. I belong to the Mississauga Senior Center, and I used to go there five days a week for activities. Uh, Exercise classes got cut in March. Then I managed to exercise for September. Then I got booted out of the class because they cut them back to 10. And my problem is when they're making decisions, the government, it's a generalized thing. Like... I don't understand if we were in a senior centers with all precautions and seniors are twice as cautious as anybody else, why all of a sudden now I'm cut to sitting in the house again looking outside. It, it, it it's, I, it's I, tough. I I
1: think June June, not, are you, are you online? online? Are you online on computer? Um, I am. Because you can there are lots and lots of exercise classes online where you can just follow along and do them on your own in the house.
2: I realize that, but yeah. that does not help with my social interaction oh, that I miss desperately. Uh huh. I can, I have tapes, I can exercise, but I, I'm at the point oh. now, this has been going on so long. I'm at the point now where I don't want to do anything. I just want to, I don't, like getting up in the morning is why it's the same day. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm not getting up off my butt and doing stuff that I could be doing. And I'm just saying it's mostly the social interaction that I miss. Uh,
1: I, I I hear you. And, and that's terrible. And on the other hand, all these officers of health have said it's an exception for mental health. Um, but I guess you're still not comfortable going to visit uh, your children and, and grandchildren.
2: Well, it's because they are all working, and they're nervous about me being in contact with them because they're all out in the outside world, yeah. and I'm not.
1: June, I wish you all the best. Thank you for sharing, and uh, I hope that uh, you have a, a nice visit with your son on Sunday. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there there you go. It's a really tough situation. Uh, so, again, um, uh, Bob, uh, I mean, I know that people I know, for instance, older people are refusing to see their children and grandchildren, even if their children and grandchildren would okay it. But on the other hand, some of them are seeing other older people because they feel that there hasn't been that kind of exposure. Um, What have you found in your circle, Bob?
6: Well, you know what? Two things. One, uh, I got a lot of uh, sympathy for June because I think we do need to be providing um, services to uh, seniors who are uh, single. The second thing, bringing it back to communications, uh, I think the communications has almost exclusively been focused on people who are married with two kids, or at least if you listen to everybody when they're talking, it's it, it, it's like that. There's, uh, I'm a single person, and I I can say that at all three levels of government, the communication is almost never focused on me, or never focused on my group which, by the way, includes in a city like Toronto, hundreds of thousands of people. So one of the things when we're talking about uh, trust is you've got to speak to your audience, and they're not speaking to their audience here a lot, too, as well. I am going to be having a Thanksgiving dinner on Friday night, and uh, I will be, it will be under 10 people, and I will be having a variety of my friends over who are single, who we've been seeing each other over the last six or seven months. We all conduct ourselves relatively well. We wear masks when we're out. We do the stuff we're supposed to do. We'll be having a nice dinner. Sorry, that's what we'll be doing. Uh, because And I think that's responsible uh, um, because you can't expect single people to sit in their house 24-7 for seven months.
1: Mm-hmm. Here, 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 here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting in the last census. I'm trying to remember exactly, but single person households were the largest, uh, the, the, largest growing type of household. And I think a majority of people over a certain age, whether it was 50 or 65, uh, actually live in single households. So uh, I think you're right. By addressing the communications to, to people in, in different kinds of family units, they, they are missing the mark.
5: But Libby, I think that's one of the lessons we should take away from this because, you know, we didn't learn some of the lessons from SARS we should have, and hopefully that lesson is now burned into everybody's heads about things like testing, PPE equipment, uh, a variety of resources and organizations working from the same playbook. But one of the things we've learned from this one, I think, is precisely the point that Bob and June have raised, which is what is the impact, short-term and long-term, of isolation loneliness and depression and we've been pretty crummy at addressing that in any practical way except to observe that it's going on I don't know how hard it would be for example for some seniors group or another to arrange a telephone tree where June would get a call from somebody she knew or somebody's friend that she knew once a week twice a week um, the, the isolation question, and particularly as we go into this next winter, I think is going to become one of the biggest challenges because isolated people will be the first ones to you know to, to lose it basically to decide to break the rules because they can 't stand it any longer or, or even worse
1: or or to just uh, become lethargic and depressed as we heard from June, and I really hope that that june feels better and she gets a great visit from her son uh it's it's just uh dr dionand and it it's it's that's another communications thing we have seen authorities take this into account they understand but still uh it was uh eileen davila i think saying communicate virtually what what do you make
4: of that there's a lot to unpack here. First, it's absolutely true we need to diversify the messaging tools and messaging content to to address a variety of demographics. As been noted, we're talking mostly to married people who are of a certain age demographic, and that's not everyone. Sometimes it's sufficient to simply acknowledge that other people exist. Okay, people out there who are suffering, we know you're there working on plans, but don't think we have forgotten about you. So, again, that's the part of the, the confidence-building aspect of communication. It's not just about information. It's about emotion, compassion, empathy, etc. You can get some of this through your virtual communication, absolutely. It's not the medium that matters so much. It's, it's the content and the targeting of it. And the, uh, and the fact that it's consistently coming from the same source without counter-banding messaging from the same government. That's the problem here, is the conflicting messaging and the lack of diversity of messaging.
1: Okay, let's, let's hear from Pat
3: in St. Catharines. Hi, Pat, how are you doing? I'm, doing? I'm doing fine, thank you very much. How are you?
1: I'm fine, thank you.
3: Uh, I just wanted to say, to I think her name was June, the lady that called and said she was going to be alone. Um. I'm also going to be alone, and uh, I find that I I don't get lonely because I, I'm grateful for a nice apartment, I have a car, I've got food, and I know there's lots of people that are way off to me.
1: Yeah, that's a. They they say that that practicing gratitude is is very helpful. But um, you know, I can certainly understand why people who are isolated and you know their world yeah. gets well, smaller and smaller will get uh, upset, depressed.
3: Yes, but but there's virtual calls too. You know, she calls her friends and uh, yeah. visit with them. You can visit over a telephone. <laughs> are you
1: going to uh, do a virtual Thanksgiving? Pat? Oh,
3: yes, I'm going to order Chinese
1: food in. Uh-huh, and are you going to be in touch with your friends over FaceTime or the phone or something? Mm,
3: probably not, no, because everybody's busy.
1: Okay, Pat, thanks so much for your call. You're welcome. Thanks. Have a nice Thanksgiving. Okay, you too. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I've actually heard, heard that from a number of people saying, you know what, I'm not doing a turkey, I'm going in a completely different direction so I don't miss the usual holiday. Uh, uh, Ray, do you think that people are, are, you know, going to miss the holiday even more than usual just because it comes after
4: a long time with this? Absolutely, yeah. And plus, it's in the news all the time now. So they're reminded all the time that this is the time for family, and if you're not with family, you feel it more deeply. In a different year, when it's not being as emphasized in the popular zeitgeist it probably wouldn't matter as much, but now it definitely does. So I'm quite sympathetic to people who are going to suffer through this holiday, and I hope that we all find someone to be with.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I usually uh, hear from at least a few people who say, you know, oh my god, my family, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> Uh, so, but maybe,
5: can I just add sure. one point about the timing question here? I think a mistake that we all made at the front end of this process was not genuinely acknowledging in a way that we actually believed that we'd be where we are seven months later. And I think now we have to stop saying we'll be better by Christmas, we'll be better by you know, spring or whatever, now I think it's really important for governments and each of us individually to say, okay, let's say it's next summer. Let's plan how we're going to live our lives and stay sane through a winter or spring to next summer and not drop these three-weeks, three-month kind of deadlines one after the other, because it simply sets people up for massive disappointments when, yet again, another deadline is not made. Um, and surely we should approach this as something that is going to take a lot longer than we would like and maybe then we will know in advance. But be prepared for that and take steps that encompass that prospect.
1: You know what, Robin? I think that's a really good point because even if it's, uh, you know, whatever unpleasant thing, like a really hard workout or something, if it doesn't end when you expect it to end, it's just that much worse. Bob, what would you hope to see? We saw that big... Muddlefest yesterday, especially from the premier. What, what would you hope to see or advise him going forward?
6: I would hope all uh, three levels of government take a look at their communications, listen to comments that are being made by people. Uh, I would reduce uh, the amount of communications they're doing, and I would also go back to the three you know points that uh, that Robin uh, raised. You know, just about clarity. Um, you know about about being clean and simple, about being uh, consistent um, and and transparent. So you know if if governments went back, took a good look at their operations, cleaned it up, reduced the amount of uh, time that they're speaking to people, I think we'd see some improvement.
1: Okay, and finally, uh, Ray. So would you say if people have plans, should they cancel them and scale back if they're in Toronto or Ottawa?
4: I think uh, the rule of thumb is, if you don't live in that house, don't go to that house. However, we're all adults here. If you can be, do this safely with the proper recognizance and you feel that you need to for your mental health or your social well-being, then do so safely. Uh, eat outdoors if you have to, eat virtually if you have to, but if you want to be in someone's house, be responsible and don't breathe on their faces. So I think we can all get through this together if most of us do most of the right things most of the time.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you all for joining me. I, I am going to take a couple of calls before we break uh, because I think it's important to hear from people. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Dr. Thanks, Radio please. Nandan, Robin Sears, and Bob Richardson.
6: Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Thanks, uh,
1: Libby. Okay. Let's uh, hear from Marianne in North York. Hello, Marianne. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you?
2: Oh, hanging in there. That's good. So, I'll try not to be too long-winded. Um, my husband's been 8 months in Ontario Shores in the dementia lockdown. Wonderful staff. I could never have gotten through this without the staff. They're just unbelievable. But in between all this, um, yes, um, I see a big change in my husband before COVID happened, I used to take him out on my days off, the car rides. He just loved uh, feeding the birds on and on. So it's been eight months of being confined. My visits were on a 20-acre land, talking to him through a window, through the summer, between the wasp bites and being boiled to death. So my Thanksgiving is going to be at the window, freezing to death now. And it's very, very sad on how this has all worked out
6: for all of us.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. But you know what? At least you get to see him, Um, you know, uh, while we wait to figure out how to make this better. Marianne, thanks so much and happy Thanksgiving.
2: And you too also. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Okay, and I will take another very quick
3: one from Joan
1: in Orangeville. Hi, Joan.
3: Hi Libby, thank you for taking my call. Yes, it's just on the the last two. No, I guess before this lady, uh, June in Mississauga, and then the next lady. Now, uh, I I feel very, very feel very much for June. Um, I'm kind of the way she is. Um, I like I like interaction. I'm I'm missing my family terribly. We were going to have a 20 person immediate family for dinner on Thanksgiving, and now we're down to my daughter's only having my husband and I so all the rest of the family is missing it. However um, the the second lady I'm sorry I don't know her her name now she says you know there's this to do and that to do get on the phone and uh, she says she, she drives and so on and so forth. Well we don't all feel or have the same makeup as her we're all built different inside and I sure feel like June does so um, that's, that's always my that's always my 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 thought here is people say you can do this you can do that to feel better, and we try as I do, and I you just can't do it. We're we're just built so much differently.
1: I I I hear you, and I wish you all the best. And um, you are going to be with with uh, some of your children and grandchildren, so that's a blessing. Thank, Thank you for your call, Joan. Thank you, Libby, and have a very nice Thanksgiving. Also. You too. Thank you so much.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.